So there are these four double stops at the beginning of the Shostakovich concerto. I've been practicing them for a while. A double stop is when you play two strings at once. It's not a skill that's difficult, but these four chords are so annoying. Four different hand positions, all within one second at tempo. It's a pain. Anyway, since I've been working on this piece for several months, it was especially fun for me to talk to cellist Johannes Moser about the work. I returned to this piece over and over again because it was a piece that I thoroughly fell in love with as a young adult. When I went through my dad's record collection, you know, I first I hit Schubert and Schumann and then suddenly Shostakovich uh, was next on my list and I was like, this is really awesome. Johannes is a leading cello virtuoso who actively performs as a soloist with orchestras, as a chamber musician, and as a recording artist. The most challenging part for the left hand is these infamous uh, double stops, and it's only one bar, and, and it's right at the beginning. When I take the piece out again to, to, to brush it off, that bar is what I practice the most. Because it's frustrating if you miss that bar or miss some of those double stops, because it's right at the beginning, you still have half an hour to go. So, uh, you know, you want to you want to get the beginning right in order just to <laughs> to keep spirits high. I'm Suniva Kali. Welcome to Cello Century, where we reflect back on the heartache and the beauty of the 20th century, as heard through five of the great modern cello concertos. This week, we're talking about the enormously popular Shostakovich Concerto No. 1. Like the Elgar Concerto, this is a work that many cellists learn while they're young, and then keep in their repertoire for a lifetime. I felt from early on that I could really express myself very well through, you know, the, the variety of emotions that this piece carries, from the very upbeat and rough beginning to the very nuanced and, and and also very sad second movement and then through the cadenza which has such uh, an incredible storyline you know it, it starts from the nucleus of the uh, second movement and then he expands it in such a scream almost and then of course the wild finale um, speaks for itself. Another person who instantaneously fell for this concerto was Mstislav Rostropovich, a friend of the composer's. He had dreamed for years of having a Shostakovich concerto to play, but the composer's wife advised him that if he ever wanted that dream to come true, he should never, ever mention it. In summer 1959, out of the blue, Shostakovich announced that he had been working on a concerto for cello, and he sent the music to Rostropovich. The cellist was so excited that he learned the music and memorized it in four days. He later recollected that he had never practiced so hard in his life. He wrote it for probably, arguably, uh, the greatest cellist of uh, the 20th century. And he had a protagonist that was able to do everything. So he also did not shy away from writing difficult passage work. He was very much aware that he was writing for a person who knew a lot of new music of the time and he could not fool him. 
So I think he made sure that it was very playable on the instrument, despite all the demands. The opening of the concerto is quintessential Shostakovich. The cello's detached quarter notes have a brittle sound. The melody line is angular, all elbows, and the rhythm drives ahead with military precision. Rostropovich called this first theme a humorous march. If this kind of humor sounds a little dark to you, you're not wrong. Cynicism and irony play a large role in Shostakovich's music. The second theme strongly contrasts the first, without losing any intensity. Instead of angular quarter notes, this theme features piercing, repeated half notes, followed by a group of falling minor thirds that have a pleading quality. The metrical emphasis shifts constantly between groups of two, three, and five, but the orchestra keeps the rhythm taut by incessantly stabbing away at the offbeats. This movement is extremely efficient. Shostakovich blows quickly through a development of the musical material, before wrapping back around to recap the first theme. This time around, the second theme is taken over by a solo French horn, with the cello providing the aggressive offbeat accompaniment. gradually dies away, becoming softer and softer before closing with one final outburst. The concerto was written in 1959, when Shostakovich was 52 years old. His popularity, both at home and abroad, was in full bloom. As the brightest star of Soviet music, he also had an important political role to fulfill. The Cold War had been unfolding for over a decade, with all of its suspenseful episodes of nuclear threat, espionage, and aggressive propaganda. Just two years before, the Soviet Union had launched Sputnik 1 into orbit, initiating a space race with the United States. Back on Earth, they were also in a race to display their cultural prestige and superiority. The music of Shostakovich was very popular in the West, 
which made him a perfect mouthpiece for Soviet culture on the world stage. Also arriving at LaGuardia Field from Russia, our world-famed composer Dmitry Shostakovich in dark coat left, and six other Soviet artists. Here to attend the controversial Cultural and Scientific Conference for World Peace, the Russians pose amicably, but refuse to answer questions from a battalion of photographers and reporters. Then Mr. Shostakovich... That newsreel was produced in 1949. For 20 years, Shostakovich had been living under the shadow of Joseph Stalin's totalitarian regime. More than once he had been accused of formalism, a term that described undue Western influence and modernist experimentation in music. Even in the realm of art and literature, such violations of Communist Party values could carry a death sentence. Shostakovich had lost friends, colleagues, and family members to Stalin's great purge of the late 1930s. Those were psychologically traumatic times. After the death of one of his friends at the hands of the secret police, Shostakovich said to the dead man's family, I envy him. The safest path forward for a musician was to write propaganda music, and Shostakovich wrote a lot of propaganda music. In fact, the main theme of the cello concerto was based on music he had written for the 1948 film The Young Guard, which celebrated the bravery of resistance fighters during World War II. The political situation finally stabilized when Nikita Khrushchev came to power in 1953. Shostakovich was raised to new levels of respect. He was touted as a role model for other Soviet artists. But members of the artistic community began to lose their regard for Shostakovich, saying that he was a dupe of the political establishment. The composer was intensely private, and historians still struggle to explain the many contradictions of his political life. Consider these words that he wrote in 1960 for an issue of Pravda, the official communist newspaper. I already hear the music of communism. I want to summon all Soviet composers, my dear friends, to even more intense labor and new creative successes. Onwards, friends, to communism. But on another occasion, among his friends, he described how he got through the bureaucratic meetings he was invited to. I have my method to avoid applauding. I pretend that I am writing down these great thoughts. Thank heavens, everyone sees that my hands are occupied. His patriotic oratorio, Song of the Forests, was premiered to wide acclaim and won a Stalin Prize. But a colleague who accompanied him back to his hotel after the premiere reported that he immediately laid down on his bed and sobbed into a pillow. I think it's easy to see why, even at the most successful time in his career, Shostakovich was still writing music that evokes emptiness, anxiety, and even despair. Let's listen to the second movement of the cello concerto.
when Shostakovich comes to the second movement, to this very in intimate, almost saraband-like beginning that is first presented by the orchestra and then later by the solo cello, um, he does something that also other composers do when they are masters of drama, like Tchaikovsky in the Sixth Symphony or Wagner in Parsifal, um, is that he raises the emotion to a very high level with the first movement, and then he drops the listener even harder, uh, coming into that very sad atmosphere of the second movement. So he was a master of, of drama. I mean, his operas uh, speak of that, of course. But uh, it's, it's really executed in a, such a masterful way. The soloist enters with a new theme, one that's quite bleak. Its regular phrase structure and simple stepwise motions give it a vocal character. mingles with sweetness as the cello moves into its own variations on the opening Sarabande theme. At the apotheosis of the movement, soloist and orchestra seem to reach a place of triumph, briefly achieving major tonality for just four measures before plunging back into melancholy. closes with a return of the singing theme. The instrumentation here is very special. The cellist uses false harmonics to create a high whistling tone. Each statement by the cello is answered by the ringing tones of a celeste. Here's something Shostakovich said about five years before he died. You ask if I would have been different without party guidance? Yes, almost certainly. I would have displayed more brilliance, used more sarcasm. 
I could have revealed my ideas openly, instead of having to resort to camouflage, I would have written more pure music. Shostakovich's youthful works were often full of sharp humor and mischief. One example that I love is his opera The Nose, written when he was just 21. The opera tells the story of a government bureaucrat whose nose gets cut off by a clumsy barber. The nose then grows to human size and itself becomes a government bureaucrat. The nose was actually the first of the composer's works to garner him negative attention from the party press. 21-year-old Shostakovich would surely have been surprised if he knew that in 1960, just a year after he wrote the cello concerto, he would apply to become a member of the Communist Party. He did so without offering any explanation to his friends, who were stunned and disappointed. There was no longer any threat to the composer's life, and yet now he was making the choice to seek ultimate political security. Shostakovich believed his own besetting flaw was cowardice. He once gave this advice to Rostropovich and his wife. Don't waste your efforts. Work. Play. You're living here, in this country, and you must see everything as it really is. Don't create illusions. There's no other life. There can't be any. Just be thankful that you're still allowed to breathe. As the date of his initiation to the Communist Party approached, he suffered an emotional breakdown. He claimed that he was coerced into submitting his application under the influence of alcohol. The emotional crisis of his entry to the party engendered his eighth string quartet. The openly autobiographical quartet, written in just three days, reprises themes from throughout the composer's career, reaching all the way back to the time of the nose. It even includes the main theme from the cello concerto. The nucleus of the work is a transliteration of his own initials into musical pitches. He claimed that he cried the entire time he was writing it, and he told a friend, you could write on the cover, dedicated to the memory of the composer of this quartet. It seems as if Shostakovich was a man who couldn't let go of his past. Either that, or the past wouldn't let go of him. The cello concerto has an unusual third movement, one that's also retrospective in nature. It's a solo cadenza so lengthy that it becomes a standalone movement. It's introspective and improvisatory, as if the composer is simply allowing his thoughts to wander. The cadenza reflects back on both themes from the second movement, Snatches of melody are accompanied by double stops and pizzicato chords.
gradually the tempo increases and the soloist begins to recall ideas from the first movement. Finally, the music rushes ahead toward the frenzied final movement. For me, the biggest challenge is to have enough energy left in the last movement to go through all those rat race passages. Um, especially coming out of the cadenza, uh, which is very demanding. Um, you spend so much energy and then you, you hear the orchestra come in for the fourth movement. And I had so many performances where I really asked myself, can I do this now? Because it seems like there is no power left in the, in the right arm. After the first motive, a nauseating descent through a string of minor thirds, Shostakovich offers a violent parody on the Georgian folk song Suliko, purportedly Stalin's favorite. He then spins the intervals from Suliko into a whirling dance. The last movement doesn't have a traditional form. It crashes onward from one frenetic theme to another. The third theme is another triple meter dance, but if you listen closely, you'll start to hear intervals that are taken from that old familiar movement one theme. Soon we hear it unmistakably in the woodwinds. And in case you weren't sure, in the French horn. Finally, the soloist takes over the melody again, but before long, it's completely subsumed by the orchestra. When it comes back in the last movement, it almost comes back with, um, with, with, with a big sense of almost disgust. Uh, of course, in the, in the last movement, we also have a quotation from Stalin's favorite song, from Suliko. So there is a very personal vendetta that Shostakovich is exercising throughout this piece. There are some places where the orchestra is just so strong, where it makes no sense to try to fight the orchestra sound-wise because it's just a losing battle, a composed losing battle. 
and maybe also intentional so that he lets the cello drown from time to time. A lot of people ask me, you, you play this a lot, you play this all the time, does it wear off or does it wear out? And uh, not at all. It remains a piece that that just grabs me from the very beginning and I hope the same goes for the audience. Thanks for joining me today. I also want to thank our guest, Johannes Moser. The latest album release from Johannes features the works of Felix and Fanny Mendelssohn. Next week, South Korean composer Izang Yun, who was sometimes called the Wounded Dragon. He said the cello was the voice of his soul, and when it came time to tell his own story of kidnapping, torture, and imprisonment, he wrote a cello concerto.